I'm Andy. I'm Lynn. I'm Bodie. I'm Bailey. I'm Alana. I'm Alden. I'm Declan. And we're the Marks family. Thank you for being generous in your giving. The best way to give is online or by mailing a check to the church office. Our family uses the Emmaus app on our phones to give. It makes it quick and easy to give every time we get paid. We miss everybody so much. I really want to say hello to my third grade Sunday school class. I miss you guys so much, and I can't wait till we can all get back together again and see how you guys are doing. Uh, keep behaving for your parents and listening really well, and uh, work on your books of the Bible while we're apart, and that way when we get back together, we can see how far everybody's gotten. We sure do Bye. miss everybody, and we can't wait to see you soon. Bye. 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 Hi, Emmaus family. We miss you so much and can't wait to be with you all again. Um, God is with us. He goes before us and we can rest in him. I want to thank the youth for the big blessing of your chalk drawings uh, for all of us. They mean so much and that was the most thoughtful and sweetest thing to do and Dale and I look back on the picture we took of it uh, lots of times so until we meet again please know you're loved we miss you miss your hugs and mwah, your turn <laughs> good morning Amaz. Uh I just want to say this morning it is amazing uh, that we can uh, send this message and that you guys send messages out and I'm just thankful for uh, our leadership in our church and other talented people uh, who know about the internet who knows actually how to use their phone and that's not me uh, you know I'm kind of a dinosaur I'm 73 I always thought the telephone was you get a call you say hello you talk a little bit and then you say goodbye. Well, during this time, I've grown to appreciate the internet and people with skills uh, that can send messages out, videos out, put them together. Uh, the leadership in our church has been amazing and uh, we're thankful for that. I have actually started texting. I'm kind of famous for uh, not texting anything, but and if you send a text to me, I might look for it, and I may not. And if I look for it, I may not find it. But anyway, these days, I'm texting, and if I text you a long text, there's a real possibility that the length of time it took to make that text, I could walk to your house and give you that message verbally. Now, that's kind of sad, but I'm still working on my skills. I would like to say it's nice to hide from the virus with someone that you love, and that is my wife of over 50 years, and uh, it's just great. I found out all kinds of stuff about her I never knew, and uh, being hiding, hiding out in our home. We've also been cleaning out uh, our home, and uh, we found stuff we didn't even know we had over 50 years. And the other day we found uh, Beth's grandmother's bonnet. And looking for the bonnet. And with this bonnet, 
when I fish anymore, I will not come back with a sunburned head that looks like a tomato. <laughs> so anyway, if you want to borrow this, well, you can't. But uh, anyway, we love you. God loves us. I love our church. I love the people in our church. I cannot wait to see you again, to hug you, maybe share, share a tear uh, with you or about you as I tell you how much I love you. God bless y'all, and y'all have a good day. Amen. Amen. Oh, Emmaus, I can't even tell you how happy that video makes me. Uh, that, is, that is so much fun. Oh, I love that. Hey, if you have your Bible, would you open to Matthew chapter 27? Uh, kids, you may have been running around doing different things, watching these videos, singing songs. Hey, kids, if you have a Bible in your house, a Bible in your room, let me encourage you to get that. Uh, we're going to have the verses on the screen. I've got this amazing screen up on stage with me that our AVL team, who has worked, I can't even tell you how many hours behind the scenes to, to pull things off for us. They've set this up for me, so you're going to be able to see the verses that way, but if you have a Bible that you can open in front of you, let me encourage you to do that. We're going to be looking at some verses at the end of Matthew chapter 27 and then leading into Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to get to those in just a minute. Uh, before we get there, though, let's make sure we're all on the same page about our game plan for Easter. And this gives me a good chance to, uh, to show you my screen up here on stage. A couple of things I want you to know uh, about the game plan for this week. We're going to have this same format next week on Easter Sunday. Now, in the past, we've had multiple Easter services. We're just doing one live stream. It's going to happen at 1030, so it's consistent. We don't get confused. We know what's going on. As you're doing that on Easter Sunday, you can do this this morning, but, but especially on Easter Sunday, that you'll share that video. You'll host a watch party that Facebook allows you to do where other people can watch along with you and a chance to invite people to hear about the good news of Jesus in that way. So that's our game plan for Easter Sunday. This week, this Holy Week leading up to Easter, one thing that I'm going to urge our church to do, and I'm going to give you material about this through our daily 1130 Facebook Lives. I'm going to send out emails. You're going to hear about this hopefully from your Sunday school class. We are asking every person who's part of Emmaus to share their testimony of faith online this week. The best way to do that, and the way I'd encourage you to do that, is just to make a two to three minute video. Not the 20 minute or 30 minute video, but just a short video telling about how Jesus has changed your life. If you don't know how to do that or you're too uncomfortable to, to video yourself doing that, let me encourage you to write your testimony out, two to three paragraphs. I'm going to send you kind of a framework, a structure for how to do that. Kids, students, especially, this is for you. All the way up through our adults, we're hoping that every person who's a part of Emmaus will get the good news of Jesus out into the world this week by sharing their testimony. And just like we use that hashtag Emmaus at home for those pictures this morning, we're going to use the hashtag Jesus changed my story. And if you'll use that, we'll be able to weave all of those testimonies together and see the way that God's been at work in our church. This is our big plan for Easter week. This is our big plan for Holy Week that we do this. Also, just a quick note. In past years, on Thursday of Holy Week, we've opened up our building for people to come through a, a Stations of the Cross-style walkthrough. Let me just say, we are working to bring that to you in a digital format. 
I'm not making any promises to you right now. We're working hard to pull that off. Um, we're going to do everything we can to have that available for you on Good Friday as something your family could do on Good Friday. So don't hold me to that, but, but know that we're working on it, and that's our game plan for Easter. So as we begin to think about Holy Week, we're here together on Palm Sunday. I want us to look at these verses at the end of Matthew 27, keeping in, on track with this study that we've been doing through the Gospel of Matthew. Our verses I'm going to read this morning are verses 50 down through verse 56, and then we'll look at several more together. Verse 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, the moment of his death. Verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Let me pray for Simaeus, and we're going to get started with the sermon this morning. Father, thank you for how incredible these videos have been this morning, just to hear from church members the amazing music and the chance to sing together and to think about the power of the cross and the resurrection. God, I pray that right now that you would give us the attention to focus our hearts and mind on your word. God, help us to put aside distractions. Help us to consider the power of the cross and the resurrection right now from your word. God, speak to us by the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you a question as we, uh, as we get started here. Has there ever been a time in your life where you underestimated the power of something? So maybe there was an event or an object or a person and people had told you how powerful it was, they told you how great it was, and, and you underestimated it. Uh, let me give you a story about that to kind of give you an idea of where, where I'm going with this. So when I was in college at Oklahoma Baptist University, the last two years at OBU, I lived in some apartments on, on the north side of MacArthur Avenue. So the MacArthur apartments over there where there are a lot of guys who were juniors and seniors lived over there. I hate to share a story about OBU right now because my heart breaks for the students who, who aren't able to be there on campus and so many of you who aren't able to be in school uh, the way you want. But th the story from OBU from when I was there is we were living over there in those apartments and one night we walked out behind the apartments and at that time there was just an open field. It's all been developed now, but at that time north of the apartment, uh, apartments it was just an open field and we looked out there and we saw an armadillo. Now, up to this point in my life I had been told that armadillos could jump and I'd been told that armadillos could be aggressive and put in a bad situation, but Late at night, as a college guy, you're just not thinking about that. What you're thinking about at that moment is, hey, somebody grab a big black trash bag and let's go. So we go out of our apartment, out into this field to the north. Two people sneak around on the backside of this armadillo, and two other people have the trash bag ready to go. And, and you, 
You already know where the story is going, and it's going exactly where you think the story is going. So two people get on the backside of this armadillo, and they come at it and scare it, and that armadillo begins to run, and we have the trash bag ready, and that armadillo jumps, and four grown men college students scream like little girls, worse scared than little girls, and begin running back toward the apartment as that armadillo runs out into the north field. The reality is, we knew what an armadillo could do in that situation, and we still completely underestimated the power and the jumping ability of that armadillo. Now here's the deal. We're not particularly concerned about armadillos this morning, though it is an embarrassing story and a funny story I look back on a lot. Here's the transition, though, and hear me out on this, Emmaus. My concern is that many of us have heard about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus many times over, and yet we still underestimate the power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Even though we've heard this story so many times, and we've been down this road so many times, maybe it's because we've grown complacent, or we'd hate to admit it, admit it but we, we've grown bored, or, or we see it as just a routine that we do every, we have come to underestimate the power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Or maybe you grew up in a religious background and you had a bad religious experience or you were treated poorly by a Christian or by a church and you've kind of gone your own way away from faith in Christ. Or maybe it's not that you're so bothered by Jesus. He's just a good teacher and someone who lived long ago and there's this religion that's come for him, but, but you really just see him in that way. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do this morning. I'm going to ask us to consider again, what does it look like to experience the power of the cross and the resurrection? And we're going to do that in two different ways this morning. As we look at these verses, what happens here at the end of Matthew is these verses confirm the truth about Jesus that Matthew has been pointing to. Matthew has been pointing to this is who Jesus is. And yet people still haven't grasped the power and the significance of this. And finally, at the end of the book, it's like the pot just boils over. And we see the power of Jesus on display through the cross and through the resurrection. And so we're going to think about that. And then we're going to transition at the end and think, what's that impact on my life? What does that look like for my life? Now, to catch us up and to make sure we're all on the same page, I want to show you a couple of things from the Gospel of Matthew here. A few key points that we've seen up to this point in Matthew. Here's some things you need to know from the book of Matthew about Jesus. Number one, Matthew presents Jesus as the Messiah, the one who was going to come to rescue God's people, to redeem God's people, the one sent by God to rescue the people from foreign powers, uh, but also to rescue them ultimately from sin and death. And so this has been established from the very beginning of the book where you have that long genealogy and it talks about Abraham it talks about David. It talks about the exile. The work of the prophets has been spoken about up to this point. So many times Matthew will talk about the scriptures being fulfilled. And that's been in place and it's going to be carried forward when we get to the end of the book. The other thing we see about Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew is that he's presented as the Son of God. Uh, kids, last Christmas we talked about how Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus is God with us. He's come to bring God's love and God's power, and God's salvation to the world. And so those things, here's what I want you to see, those things are established at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. 
and they're carried all the way through, but finally when we get to the end, we see the explosion of that power. We see the significance of what that's supposed to look like. If you look in chapter, 50, or chapter 27, verse 51, let's pick it up at this point. I want you to see the significance of Jesus at this point. Verse 51, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. What does it look like when the power of the cross is put on display? What does it look like at the moment of Jesus' death? What it looks like is this curtain in the temple is torn. You see that word in capital letters there on your, on your screen, hopefully. It was torn in two from top to bottom. Top to bottom in a way that only God could do it. It's, it's an act of God's power at this point, vindicating and showing what Jesus came to do. And then it says, the earth shook and the rocks were split. The reason I've put these two words in capital letters is in Greek, they're actually the same word. So the curtain that divided the Holy of Holies, most likely that curtain that divided the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple is the one that is torn here. God's judgment has come upon the temple, the temple that was supposed to be the place where we experienced the power and the presence of God, but it was being used for selfish motives, for political motives, and so God has brought judgment on that, but not just that. Now, he has made a way through Jesus that we are able to have access to him. We are not cut off. There doesn't have to be a human high priest who goes into this area once per year to offer a sacrifice. Through the death of Jesus, that's been taken care of. And so what we're able to see here is how everything that we've heard about Jesus throughout the gospel comes to fulfillment at this moment where the curtain is torn. But it's not just the curtain, it's the whole earth that is shaken. Jesus' impact is not just seen in one location on earth. It's not just at the temple. This is literally an earth-shattering event. What's the impact of the earth ripping? Look in verse 52. In verse 52, it says, The tombs also were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. What's the impact of the cross and the resurrection? It's that the tombs are open. Now the way that Matthew presents this particular scene can be a little bit confusing, but what Matthew is doing is he's bringing the story of the resurrection into the power of the cross at this moment, and you see at the time of Jesus' death how the tombs are open, and then at the time of Jesus' resurrection how these saints are going to go out into the city and appear to the people. What happens when Jesus dies? The curtain is torn, the earth rips open, there's this earthquake, and in doing that, death is defeated. Death is opened up, the tombs are opened up, this promise that Jesus had made that he had come to bring life, and life abundant and eternal is coming true. Look in verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Now, the reason this is so important that a centurion is mentioned here is back in Matthew chapter 8, you also had a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier. The reason this is important is because this is a non-Jew. This is a Gentile, a Roman soldier, someone who was supposed to be an enemy of the people of God. Back in Matthew 8 is showing faith. And in Matthew 8, 
Jesus even pronounces judgment on many who thought they were in the kingdom, but Jesus says, you're actually going to be outside because you have not had faith in me. You've not recognized my authority. And now at the time of the cross, when all of this authority is shown through the power of God, here again, you have a Roman centurion making a declaration that truly this was the Son of God. The power of the cross and the resurrection is confirmed when we see those who we would least expect it begin to cry out to God for salvation, begin to declare their faith in God. And then this happens in kind of a different way in the next verse. If you look in verse 55, look what Matthew does there. Right next to the Roman centurion, he says in verse 55, there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Who would have been unlikely to testify to the power of the cross and the resurrection? Well, first, a Roman centurion, a Gentile, would have been unlikely. Whose testimony would probably not have been trusted at this time, or who would have been unlikely? Women. But all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, we see the role of women in the kingdom of God. We see Jesus coming along and lifting up the value and the dignity and the role of women within the kingdom of God. You see this in the genealogy with the women who are, who are listed there in Matthew chapter 1. You saw a picture of this back in Matthew chapter 26 talking about the woman who anointed the feet of Jesus and she's contrasted there with Judas who's going to betray Jesus. And now at the time of the cross, the power of the cross and the resurrection are seen in these women who stay there with Jesus, who have been ministering to him long ago. And unlike the male disciples, they haven't run away. They're, they're still in the game. And in fact, I want you to see how this plays out. If you'll jump ahead in your Bible, kids, if you'll open your Bible to Matthew 28. So jump ahead a few verses because I want you to see the role that these women play. So we're going to pick it up in Matthew 28, verse 1, and just read a set of verses here because it emphasizes the role that these women played. 28.1 says this, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Let me stop just for a second at, at that verse. Back at the beginning of Matthew's gospel in chapter 1, you have an angel appearing to Joseph about the coming of Jesus, about his birth, and the angel says to Joseph, do not be afraid. Now, at the end of Jesus' life, you have another angel, this time appearing to the women, saying, do not be afraid. Everything that was promised has come true. You can trust the power of God, and you see the power of God on display here. Look what happens in verse 7, what Jesus says. Verse 7, he says, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them the same words of the angel, Do not be afraid. 
go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. How do you see the power of the cross and the resurrection on display through this Roman centurion who declares faith in Jesus, through these women who demonstrate their faith in Jesus, and then look back to see what Matthew does here. Look back in verse 57. You have a Roman centurion, you have women, and then you have another figure that shows up here and you see the power of the cross at work. When it was evening, this is chapter 27, verse 57. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Let's stop on that slide just for a second. I want to make sure we mention a couple of things. First, who is this Joseph figure that shows up here? Well, this is, make sure there's no confusion. This is not Joseph, uh, Jesus's earthly father. This is a different figure. Joseph here, we find out from one of the other gospels, was a part of the Sanhedrin. He was a part of the Jewish ruling group of, of the time. And so here you have a rich Jewish ruler, someone whose group Jesus has, uh, for lack of a word, battled with, gone back and forth with all the way through the gospel, now is a disciple of Jesus. Earlier, don't miss this, earlier in the book of Matthew, we found a rich man who came up to Jesus but was not able to follow Jesus because the rich man could not let go of his possessions. What do you have here at the end of the gospel? You have a rich man who is experiencing the power of the cross and the resurrection. And embedded in that is a fulfillment of prophecy, a fulfillment of scripture, because the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, we find there in Isaiah 53 verse nine, that suffering servant will be buried with a rich man, will be associated with a rich man at the time of his death. You have that coming to fulfillment here in Matthew chapter 27. So I want you to see how significant it is that we had a Roman centurion, we had a group of women, and now we have one of the rich, ruling Jewish elite who are also becoming a follower of Jesus. There's a little bit more to that story in verse 59. We find in verse 59 that Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own tomb, which he had cut in the rock. Now this idea that it was his own new tomb is important because what it means is there could have been no confusion about which body the women were going to look for in the grave. It, there could have been no confusion about where this grave was identified, where this grave was located. Some of, we're going to find out here in just a couple of seconds that some of the confusion, some of the conspiracy theory about what happened to Jesus after the tomb was empty is that maybe some people had either come to steal his body or, or possibly that they just went to look in the wrong place. But this verse here says, no, they didn't just go look in the wrong place. This was Joseph, a rich, ruling Jewish elite person. This was his own tomb and a new tomb, and so it serves to confirm the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. At the end of verse 60, you find that he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Now, I want to be careful here not to overinterpret what is being said at this point, but how amazing is it that at the beginning of Jesus' life, you had a Joseph and a Mary experiencing the work of God in their lives? 
And now at the end of his life, again, hear me out. I want to be careful that I'm not saying more than what Matthew wants us to see here. But at the beginning of his life, there was a Joseph and a Mary. At the end of his life, we have a Joseph and a Mary experiencing the power of God at work in the situation. What does it look like when the power of the cross and the resurrection shows up? You have the temple curtain torn, you had the earthquake, you had the tombs open and the dead arising and going out to be among the people. You have a Roman centurion, you have a group of women, you have a rich Jewish uh, ruling person involved here. Now, with all that going on, don't be surprised that there are also enemies involved. There are also people who don't want to see this happen, who are working against the plan of God. And I want to show you that here just for a second. Look in verse 62 in your Bible, kids. If you've got your Bible open and you're following along there. Verse 62. The next day, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, While he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he is risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Now, at that moment, you want to tell these folks, uh, you don't have to worry about that. His, his disciples have run off. They've seen him dead. They've heard about his death. You have this group of people who have prepared for his burial. No one's waiting around to steal his body. They, they've all run off in fear, and yet there's still a fear that something is going to happen here for the enemies. Verse 65, Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. In other words, that's your own problem. This is the second time Pilate has done this. That's your own problem. You deal with it. Verse 66, so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now jump ahead to Matthew 28, verse 11, and let's find out what happens after the resurrection. After the resurrection, while the women were going to Galilee, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. Uh, a big oops. Uh, that whole tomb that we were supposed to seal, yeah, it's, it, it's empty, and the stone is rolled away, and we have a real problem on our hands. Verse 12. When they had assembled with the elders and taking counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. Hear echoes of the Judas Iscariot story there. When these guys run into problems, they just throw money at it. That's the only way they know to solve these situations. Verse 13, and they said, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll take care of him, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. In fact, we have a writing from the mid-2nd century from, uh, from a man named Justin that this conspiracy theory was continuing to be spread even at that time over 100 years later. These folks, even the enemies of Jesus, understand the significance of if he has been resurrected, this changes everything. For just a second, I want to talk to you if you find yourself unsure about Christianity. You say, you know what, I, I have respect religion, I don't have a huge problem with Jesus, I have some friends that are Christians. Let me speak to you if you are unsure about your own faith, you're unsure about the truth of Christianity. Here's my suggestion to you. Start with the resurrection of Jesus. 
This forms the core of our belief. This forms the core of what we believe to be true, of the power of God at work in the world. If this is not true, the whole thing falls apart. The resurrection of Jesus Christ sits at the core of what it means to be his follower, what it means to be transformed by the power of God. And I can tell you right now, if you are unsure about Christianity, let me ask you to start at that point. Because if the resurrection is not true, let me just be honest, and we are terribly wasting our time. But if the resurrection of Jesus is true, it changes everything. This is the game changer in all of history for every one of our lives. If the resurrection is true, ask yourself, what are the implications for my life? And with the resurrection historically, you have a dead man, you have a burial that's confirmed, you have an empty tomb, you have appearances that are documented later in multiple times, multiple locations. If the resurrection is true, it changes everything for your life. It changes everything for the world. And I hope, I hope this is uh, helpful to understand how Christianity works because a lot of people, when they hear someone is a Christian or they think about the Bible or they think about the church, what they think about are bad people learning to act good or bad people learning to be good. And what you may be thinking to yourself is, I'm already a pretty good person. Or we look at somebody and we say, that's a good person. That misses the point, if I can say this gently, but I, I wanna speak really directly about that. That misses the point of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus is not about bad people learning to be good. It's about dead people coming to life. And in our sin, our rebellion against God, every one of us faces death. And yet Jesus took on that death for us. He died for us in our place. And not only that, we see in these verses that he rose again. Something that has incredible weight behind it. Has incredible support, not only in the Bible, but historically. At that moment... My greatest need is not to become a better person. Your greatest need, no one's asking you to become a Christian because they want you to join their group or they want you to get your act together. We can't do that. What we are asking you to do is to consider the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And what I want every one of us to consider here for just a minute, and this is kind of gonna, this will be the imagery that, that will take us to the end. It's the imagery that I want us to take throughout the week. The power of the cross and the resurrection is related to the difference between something being closed and something being open. Here's what I mean by that. When you read these verses that we have just read together, what you find are multiple images of something being closed off or being covered up. The curtain that was there was designed to limit access to the Holy of Holies. It was a closed point at which you could not go past because of issues of holiness, because of issues of access. The tomb is sealed off from outsiders. It's sealed off the dead. There were cultural and ethnic boundaries. Remember the Roman soldier? Remember the women? There were boundaries that closed people off from one another. There were lies that were told. Lies are designed to close something off. Lies are designed to cover up the truth. Here's the incredible thing that Matthew is doing in the gospel. At this point of the cross and the resurrection, he is giving us images of something being closed off because when we get to the cross and the resurrection, we find things opening up. The power of the cross and the resurrection is the way that it opens the curtain 
the way that it opens the grave. Could you guys bring up that next slide? The cross and the resurrection opens the curtain, opens the earth, opens the tombs. The cross and the resurrection opens the mouth of a Roman soldier. The cross and the resurrection opens up the impact that these female disciples have been having all along and now this role that they're gonna play at the resurrection. The cross and the resurrection opens up the heart of a rich religious leader, someone who should have been opposed to the way of Jesus, but has been transformed, and now he's giving away his wealth, he's giving away his tomb, he's giving away his influence for the purpose of the cross and the resurrection. And ultimately, we're gonna see this next week specifically, but the cross and the resurrection open the good news of Jesus to the world. Let me have you think about Easter in this way. Without the cross and the resurrection, we live in a closed world. Everything is closed off. Because of the cross and the resurrection, everything opens up. No cross, no resurrection. We come in tight. We hold on. We protect. We hold on to our own things. Because of the cross and the resurrection, everything opens up. The question is, how does that impact my life? Now, how do we live open, cross and resurrection, how do we live open when the whole world seems to be closed? How do we live open when the whole world seems to be closed? We open our mouth. We open up our resources and our influence. And we open up our hearts. This week, this week, Emmaus, I'm going to ask you to open your mouth because of the power of the cross and the resurrection and testify to how Jesus has changed your life. Now, it might be literally you open your mouth as you speak to your phone and you make a video about this. It might be that you open your mouth by typing on your keyboard and typing up a couple of paragraphs about God's work in your life. But this week, because of the cross and the resurrection, we are not going to be closed off about our faith. Faith is not going to be a private thing that we hide behind. Faith is not going to be something we only do in a certain building or in a certain time. We're going to open up. The cross and the resurrection open up And so we are going to open up and we're going to share the good news of Jesus and hopefully pump hundreds of testimonies into the world this week about how Jesus has changed our lives. We're going to open up our resources and influence. I know we need to be wise. I know we need to think about gathering things and making sure we're being wise with our resources. But let's not be known as holding on to resources, of coming around things and crowding around them and protecting them. That's how you live if there is no cross and resurrection. But the cross and the resurrection opens us up. God, here's my life. Everything I have is from you. Everything I have is for you. And we're going to open up our hearts. The cross and the resurrection break down boundaries. Ethnic boundaries, cultural boundaries, don't get caught up in perpetuating this idea that our goal is to close ourselves off and protect ourselves. The cross and the resurrection opens our hearts to the whole world because we believe that every single person is created in the image of God, that Jesus died for all, and so we are gonna open our hearts. We're gonna share the gospel, we're gonna share our resources, and we're gonna share our love with the world around us. I hope that'll be encouraging to you. Now, let me say one more thing here. I realize I realize the irony of this is so thick that we are talking about living open lives at a time when almost everything around us is is closed. 
And I want to be very careful about saying because of the circumstances in the world, God has done X or God has done Y. But, but hear me out on this, okay? Let's, let's consider something together for just a moment. Could it be, consider this, could it be that for many of us, our church buildings, our religious programs and activities had become a way that we had been closed off? That we had taken our faith taken our religion and we had stuck it in a building and we had stuck it in a program and in a way we were living a closed life and in this moment in this holy week God in his power in his plans has opened us up we cannot close ourselves off in a building right now here to worship together instead God has taken us out of here out of our programs, out of our church buildings, and he's put the church in homes, and he's put the church in neighborhoods, and he's put the church on this incredible thing called the internet that connects people all around the world. Emmaus, this week, our offices may be closed. They are. Our services here in the building will be canceled. We're not gonna have the programs that we normally have but can I just tell you, we are open for business. When you think about the church of Jesus Christ, you might think about a closed office, you might think about a closed building, you might think about a closed program, but I can tell you that the church is open for business. The business of proclaiming and displaying the good news of Jesus to our neighbors and to all nations because we have an earth-shaking, tomb-breaking mouth-opening, boundary-crossing, life-changing power of the cross and the resurrection. It changes everything about how we live, what we live for, wherever God has placed you. Whatever is going on in your life, know this, that the power of the cross and the resurrection is your hope. The power of the cross and the resurrection changes everything. Let me ask you at this point, if you have never trusted in Jesus for salvation, if you are unsure about your belief, you would admit, you know what, I've taken this very lightly. I consider myself a religious person, but I have never truly experienced the power of the cross and the resurrection. Can I ask you to do that this Holy Week? Don't wait. Don't hold back. This is the time to say, God, I trust you. You can reach out to us on Facebook. You've got access to my email address. If you guys could bring up that slide that has the response there. You have access to my email address. Have you trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior? Maybe the problem is you just got really complacent about your faith. It's become very routine. And maybe things have happened in your life to shake that up a little bit. This is the time to repent to come back and say, God, I want to experience that power in my life. I don't want to live a closed off life. I don't want to have a faith that is private, that's inside my home or inside my body. This is a faith that you called us to live in the open. And so God, this week, I'm going to open my mouth. I'm going to share my testimony. This week, you might try to write your testimony and say, I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to talk about God's work in my life. Don't hide behind that. Reach out. Email me. Talk to somebody you care about. Reach out to somebody in the church. Reach out to a friend. Let's open up our resources. Let's open up our hearts. 
Emmaus, I don't know all that, that God is doing in the world right now. None of us do. We, we, we wouldn't be able to handle that type of knowledge. But let me say again, let me say again, we are open for business. And we have an earth-shaking, tomb-breaking, mouth-opening, boundary-crossing, life-changing power through the cross and the resurrection. Let me pray for you as we wrap up. Father, I pray for those little kids who have been watching at home, running around the living room. God, I pray that they would know your love. God, I pray for parents who are speaking about the gospel and living that out in the home. All of us have a lot of opportunities now to say to one another, will you forgive me? I forgive you. We talk about the gospel. We live that out. God, let us do that. God, let us not live closed off lives. We know the resurrection shows us the power of Jesus on display and then it opens up our lives. God, this week let us open our mouths to share about the good news of Jesus. Let us open up our wallets and our resources and our influence. And God, let us open up our hearts to people around us. God, in your wisdom and in your ways, you've taken the church out of the buildings, out of its programs, but you have reminded us this morning that we are open for business. God, let us take that seriously and let us live lives that are honoring to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 